been a minute since I've released a podcast, and I think that that has a lot to do with how busy I've been with everything else. One of which is selling no hats. Let's get to that in a second. See, literally like a second of music. That's what I needed. The, the uh, a very experienced producer friend of mine from another company uh, has told me I need to have a little bit of music at the beginning of these things in order to uh, make it seem more professional or something. I don't know. I have a good microphone. That should be enough, right? Let's talk about this. So what my goal has been with this podcast and, and what my goal has been with the radio a lot is to highlight new voices. I'm so tired of turning in, uh, tuning into the news and seeing the same people over and over again, seeing the same talking heads. And they say the same things. The host will be like, well, you know, uh, Biden is bad. And then the, they'll go to a panel and this panel of experts who are uh, whatever they are, ed- editors or whatevers, or somebody with a, a publicist they've paid a lot of money to, and I know a couple of these good publicists, they're great people. Uh, they turn to the person and they say, Biden is bad too. So it's the host says Biden is bad, and then the, then they just parrot those things back. What would be worse is if you, you're working hard for like a 4 a.m. slot. That's You just suck at that point. Like If you're doing like the 4 a.m. CNN slot, uh, more people will listen to this podcast than see you on your little shitty hit. Anyway, I'm really, really big on building up new people, finding new voices, um, and and promoting voices who have been around that have not gotten the push they deserve. Uh, Yasmin Muhammad, I have on today's show, uh, Libs of TikTok, who I will leave. Uh, she's, I just said she. There you go. You're gonna find out. That's a little sneaky, sneaky preview. Uh, that uh, it's a girl. There you go. Gender reveal party. Uh, <laughs> And, and you'll hear from her on Monday live. And uh, we're also going to have uh, my hard hat intellectual friend. Man, that guy is awesome. And what's amazing is people will play his videos. And I know uh, Dave Rubin put his little video on, uh, one of his videos, many videos, on his show. And uh, I don't believe he booked him. And it's like, dude, bring him on. This guy's great. We've been talking on the back end of Twitter for a while. And... Uh, I'm proud to call him a friend, and I think he's I think he's brilliant. I think he's smarter than me in a lot of stuff. He sees the world from a different perspective, and uh, that's going to be a great conversation. That's Sunday. Whoa. I need to get that time figured out. But it's, it's giving voices and elevating voices of people who should have them. I'm tired of hearing from the same people, and I'm sure you are too. Uh, and, and they're more unique voices than what we're used to, because the thing is, when, when you're getting on a major network... For the most part, they they grind you down and and you play the role that you believe you're supposed to be there to play. And it it makes the product even more boring than what it should be. So that's what I'm looking for is like a unique cast of characters and and unique people. And so I hope I can bring that to you. That's enough about that. Uh, A lot of people have been asking me, what does no mean? Now, obviously, it's a resistance type thing. It's like a resist thing. It's just say no to so just say no to drugs, right? Uh, but for me, it's been a lot deeper than that. It was, uh, see, I didn't even turn my alarm off on my cell phone this morning. It was the most important sentence in my life and should be the most important sentence in anyone's life. No to me is respectful, direct, and doesn't waste anybody's time. And you're in control when you're saying it because it's awkward for so many people to say it. Whether you're leaving a job, which I've done a few times, I quit uh, famously a couple of uh, 
me big media jobs in DC. I literally quit on the spot. Um, I've said no to you know, or you're saying no to like going to dinner. Do you want to go to Mexican? No, you don't want to beat around the bush. Well, you know, I I, I don't know if I want to do that or not do that or just say just fucking say no, no. Do you want to go out? No. Like for women, it's a whole different situation, right? Like Me Too stuff. Just say no. Say no to people. Say no to whatever. But I say no to everything. And I've got this tattoo. It's the most important sentence in my life. I got this tattoo uh, three or four years ago now. Four years, I think. And uh, I just like pointing to it because it, it, it's a summary of, of me. I don't like a lot of stuff. But no one likes a lot of stuff. And that's the that's the reality of, of the world. It's like... You know, you, you look around, and there's a lot of junk you don't care for. And there's a lot more that I have to come in contact with, and I'm sure you come in contact with a lot, and if you just say no to it, it goes away quicker. So that's really the origin of no. It's, it's being in control of your, your world in a short and effective manner. It is almost a universal word. Universal sentence. Just say no. It's been around forever. People trying to say that they... That I stole the hat idea from them. I'm sure no has been on hats forever. You can't trademark no. You can trademark a black hat with the no font on it. Can't trademark no. Uh, I just, you know... <laughs> it's, too short of a, it's too short of a word. It's too short of a sentence. It, it, it also stands N-O period is number. Just FYI, guys. But I just look at it, and it's like, why, why tolerate things in life that you don't want to tolerate? That's why I never understand uh, counseling, like couples counseling. I understand maybe marriage counseling. If you got married, you want to try to make it work. But like couples counseling to me, like if you're going to couples counseling, it's over. It's over. It, it rarely works out from there. I studied family law in law school. I've, I've seen a lot of uh, divorce cases, and, and a lot of friends have gone through things, and once counseling's involved, it's it's basically dead. So I, I don't know why you wouldn't just walk away from it. You only live once, as far as we know. If we live more than once, uh, let me know. If reincarnation's a thing, well, give me a heads up, and I'll uh, I'll jump on it. Just say no to things, man. So uh, the hat itself, I made this hat, my version of the hat, uh, three years ago as well. After I got the tattoo, I was I used to go to the mall. Uh, before I would go to TV uh, when I was working for uh, Fox 5 and uh, I would like to wear different things on, on TV and, and I bought uh, two hats one day. I did the official Tim Young merchandise hat which literally says that because uh, it's funny. I, I couldn't imagine anybody would ever want to buy that. And uh, a no hat uh, based off of I literally show the guy my tattoo and I go, hey, what's this, what's the font do you have that's like that? And it's a different font than Times New Roman. Mine is Times New Roman. Um, but it's, it looks exactly the same. It's just a different name for it. And so I wore the hat, and what started the store was when I was doing the videos, um, my little videos that I do online. I'm always wearing that hat, and because I love it, it just looks badass. And uh, a lot of people asked me to sell it, and it took me months before I was like, okay, fine. And so if you've ordered hats, there's there's a big order that has to go out this weekend. If you order the hats, they take a little bit more. So if you order the no hat, the official 950 snapback hat. Uh, which is the model off of mine, uh, the replica. Um, they take more to make because I get those from these nice ladies up the street at an embroidery shop. And uh, 
I, I go in. We did not expect them to sell at the rate that they did, people buying multiples, etc. And so uh, they're, they are behind on those shipments. I didn't even have the boxes to ship them all out to begin with. And so I think we've been pretty good at keeping up with the inventory and fulfillment of those. But there's another big, it's going to be my entire Sunday. Very exciting. Uh, maybe Saturday, if it depends on what's going on. But I actually fold up all the boxes myself and put a little note in the box. And, and I want to thank everybody who has bought a no hat, but uh, that's it's been funny to show up to the ladies and they're like, "You need more, don't you?" And I go, "Yeah." Can we can we hurry up on another you know hundred here? Can we can we get them going? And uh, so they're they're the sweetest people. I should I should show them. I should put a picture up of them. They are the sweetest, nicest ladies, uh, and they love the idea too. Actually, the one's husband. Uh, I just I think I gave one too. So, um, but yeah. So that's the origin of no, and then the origin of the hat. And I, I loved it that somebody was like. Some asshole on Twitter. It was like, "Wow, welcome to the welcome to the no movement." I made my hat, and it said like "established 2021" on it or some nonsense. And I look, I don't care if you're making your own hat. Just don't don't come and play in my yard if you don't want me to react to it, right? Like, don't claim that like I'm following. I know who the fuck this person was. They had five thousand followers. I don't know who they are, but you come into my yard, and I'm going to respond occasionally. Occasionally, it depends. It's uh, it, it takes a special case, and then I like watching people trip out when I respond. But uh, yeah, so that's that. Let's. This is a really. If this is the first uh, podcast you're ever hearing from me, uh, sorry. No, uh, it's a really good one though. Uh, Yasmin Muhammad is coming up. Uh, speaking about people on my yard, coming into my yard. Uh, depends on when you listen to this. This week I tweeted out the line, thank a Biden voter for the deaths in Afghanistan, which is pretty fine to me, seems using the the left's own rhetoric on that one, flipping it around, just putting it in terms against them. They don't like that. And I found it very interesting that a lot of people claiming to work for conservative media organizations tried to denounce me and say that I was cheering for deaths in Kabul. And in fact, they had to erase some of their tweets because they made that claim and then they couldn't back it up because I never said that, nor would I ever. But when I responded, it was very interesting to see their reactions. And one in particular, I one's a very, very short man who works in the White House press uh, room occasionally when they allow him in. I'm not going to name him. It's not worth my time. Another one, I have watched create the shittiest gimmick I've ever seen for anyone that's so pathetic uh, over the past couple years. And I'd never said anything to it because it's one of those like mutual, like I used to work with them and I'm like, hey, that's, you know, good for you, man. You know, you do you. Uh, he was a mediocre commentator and, you know, worked, worked for the same organization that I did. Um, not now, but I don't work with them. I, I actually quit that organization. But uh, mediocre commentator who would struggle to get 4 a.m. CNN hits. And that's, that's basically, that's your standard for DC. Like, easily replaceable. Like, these are like replaceable cogs and wheels. Uh, not even clickbait. Just, you know, just content. Just produces content. But the new gimmick that I've seen for the past couple of years is this, like, I would call it a cry for attention. It's 
tagging people and ranking how bad their tweets are as if they're some sort of parent on the internet. And look, I'm sure he's made a couple of bucks doing it. It's fine. But all it is is tagging people in the hopes that they respond to him for attention. And making memes of himself, which is the weird, the weirdest part of the whole thing, right? Like, it's one thing to be insignificant and have a weird gimmick, but then also making memes of yourself with that gimmick. I mean, I guess, like, commit to it, right? Uh, but it's just bizarre and lame and dumb. And I've talked about this with, with a bunch of my, uh, my media friends in the past. I'm like, what the, what the hell is this? And occasionally people trip out. Like, I called him out on his shit because his wife funds all his stuff. Uh, he doesn't have a real job. He's not making any money. Um, but when you marry up, you know, they can fund your stuff. Um, and, and good for him. You know, I have no problems with that. Can't knock that hustle. But you shouldn't judge other people. And don't come in my yard. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's such a bizarre, but very DC thing. Where, where else would somebody rank what they believed, with their, their nose in the air, what they believed to be bad tweets, as if they're some sort of authority over something? I mean, I'm an, I'm an authority over lots of stuff, but you don't see me ranking people. And it just, it's, so, it's just bizarre, man. It's lame. But hey, you know, if it pays the bills, it pays the bills. Go make your stupid list. Um. <laughs> oh, God. I just, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to name names because I don't care. Uh, and I don't care to give them the attention that they want. But if you, if you know who this is, that's cool. If not, I might be speaking Chinese right now. Honestly, just to a lot of people. Because no one knows who these people are outside of the, the DC window. And, and that's, it's your corporate media people. But they're like the corporate media on the conservative side. They're like the rhino side. And so again, replaceable cogs in a wheel. Not successful at what they do. The next 23-year-old that comes along will take their slot. And you'll, you won't know the difference. Um, and that's really what a lot of the DC conservative media is. They middle around, maybe make $70,000 a year. That's what they make to do this dumb shit, by the way for a little bit and they either move on and try to come up with a, a lame gimmick or they go to a think tank or a lobbying firm where they also middle around and really don't go anywhere and then occasionally somebody stands out uh but they don't you know they immediately leave uh those types of places and, and go somewhere else i mean like when you it, it's it's interesting to me when when you see this kind of stuff and it's it's the same kind of droning hum of conservatism and you want to know why republicans don't win um, or hadn't went, won for a long time, it's because of that middling hum. Now, I will, I will mention a name here. It's somebody who's very successful. There are two people. Uh, one is my buddy Andrew Follett, who wrote these incredible, incredibly in-depth articles for the, the Daily Caller on science. I learned from that guy. He did remarkable work, especially against... Uh, climate change bullshit and if you want to look up i mean just look up any of his work and follow him on twitter that guy you will learn from and you will get talking points from that could help republicans win i mean that's that's a dude who like i pay attention to the other guy is a guy named ted goodman i worked with them both these guys i worked with the daily caller and by the way not knocking the daily caller or any of these organizations 
just knocking these middling reporters that go nowhere. But another really good guy is a guy named Ted Goodman, who wrote for a bit at the Daily Caller, was a really good hustler, and now he works in campaigns, and he does great at it. This guy's a leader. But I mean, like, you know, you know the editors of the Caller, because these are people who didn't middle. You know, you got a great guy like Jeff, uh, who's the editor over there, and then Chris Bedford, who moved on. Uh, to I believe the Federalist or wherever he is now and he's on Fox a lot I mean these guys are good guys that like stand out above the crowd but they're so rare those types of people are so rare in DC and everybody else is just a cog in the wheel that can be easily replaced I mean that's that's just the truth and you see these people struggle and, and try to be important and go to the same cocktail parties that Democrats go to and they'll sell out and they sit on a political fence until it's uh, ben- it benefits them to go one way or the other. And and they most of the time go left because that's where the money is. Kiss up to those people, you'll get a job. And they need to get a job. I mean, like if that's their career. People went to college to be a, a essentially middle management journalist that no one will ever know the name of that basically watches television and writes what they watch on television as opposed to contributing and breaking news stories and... and uh, you know, creating new knowledge and talking points and things like that. They just watch television and or they look at the Twitter and then they uh, they write about that. Not knocking my buddy the foo. She's an editor and she finds things in a very uh, she finds unique things and, and is able to spin stories over Twitchy. I think the Twitchy team is great. That's a that's like the that's the exception to the rule. Everybody else watches, like, you know, Joe Biden's Twitter account goes, oh, well, Joe Biden today tweeted, or, like, Donald Trump's Twitter account. People would write full stories on Donald Trump's, each individual tweet. Whereas people like uh, Sam the Foo over at Twitchy and her team are finding unique things, funny things, and have an eye for things that will move the needle. Sort of like libs of TikTok, man. That's, what a, what a hell, of, I'm going to kiss her butt on Monday. Uh finding there is a skill to finding unique things that you know will move the needle and get a story and i think uh i believe the foo had uh 60 million views on her stuff last year or something like that or in her article 60 million clicks something crazy incredibly talented people not middling people but middling people like i said i you know i i talked earlier it might have sounded like chinese when i was referring to two different people uh that i won't name because you probably never heard of them. If you're if you're not in the D.C. area, you've never heard of them. And you never will. But they're significant at cocktail parties in D.C. That's just how this shit works. It's a, a lot of these, like, you know, like being a legislative correspondent or a legislative aide for a, a congressman. How many, how many people have done that? Thousands. Thousands. How many can you name? Ten. So that's... That's my commentary on all of that. It's it's just very interesting. Uh, I want to I want to what's well, interesting to me. I want to bring in Yasmin Muhammad. We're going to do this. I'm I'm going to we went live with this talk the other day. I'm going to post it back up in here in the podcast. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. See you in a second. Uh Yasmin Muhammad, uh I I caught I've been following you for a while. Uh, but what you do is so critical. Number one, before we even get to all of that, happy birthday. It is your birthday today. Thank, Thank you, you for taking a minute. You're in Canada. Are you even allowed to celebrate a birthday in Canada right Not now? Not really. No. <laughs> we have to do Zoom birthdays and masked in our uh, homes. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, <laughs> I can quite, walk to... But... Uh, well, listen, every bar is open on Main Street here in Grapevine, Texas, where I live. You're welcome to come nice. down here and hang out. Nice. I don't know. Not sure how we... Well, you can just cross the border freely. I can't get to you freely, but you can just wander down. Nobody cares. 
Uh, we could fly, but we're not. The land borders are closed. But yeah, but no, my husband and I are seriously considering moving to Texas. We're looking at Houston. I think that's a that's a good move, man. Houston's awesome. Awesome. Houston is actually, here we go. Let me plug my merch. Houston's where I got my tattoo that ended up being my no hat that I've now sold like a couple hundred of. Actually, oh, I think we're sweet. almost a couple thousand, but that's my my little tattoo there of no, and then I've got nope above it. A lot of people want to know about that. We'll talk about that some other time. What's important is talking about you and your work because it's so critical right now. What's happening in Afghanistan uh, is is it's a new crisis that's created by this administration. Um, it's going to be terrible for the women there. Uh, talking about what you do, your background on this. You wrote a book, Unveiled, How Western Liberals Empower Radical Islam. You created the hashtag Free From Hijab. I didn't realize that. And you also run an organization called Free Hearts, Free Minds, uh, dealing with all of this and freeing women who have been... Um, oppressed by radical Islam. Uh, just right now, when you see what's happening there with the Taliban taking over, what's going to happen to the women there? What, what is going on? So um, what is happening in Afghanistan is no different than, unfortunately, what's happening to different in different degrees in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, in Pakistan, in, you know, over 50 countries across this world that are Muslim majority countries. So when there is Islamic law, Sharia, um, it dictates a lot of, you know, draconian, horrific things that are sexist and homophobic and, you know, against free speech, against freedom in general, against any, you know, any civil liberties. But of course, it hurts women the most because this is a religion that is very gendered and very misogynist. And so what's happening in Afghanistan, for example, is that women are not allowed to leave their homes unless they're accompanied by a man. So you'll see the echoes of that in Saudi Arabia with their guardianship law that restricts a woman's movement that, you know, she can only do anything, work, travel, go to school, buy a car, whatever it is, there needs to be a male's permission, whether her guardian, so her owner, basically. Um, all these women are imprisoned and they all have guardians and the guardian is usually their father or their husband. The ownership papers get transferred over to the husband when she gets married. And in some cases, it can even be her son. So, um, yeah, that's wait, how wait, hold on. her it. son, her son can be in control of her. Correct. Yeah. Because he has a penis. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, I, Western, Western cultures and people who have like romanticized the a horror of a handmaid's tale, especially here in America, they don't understand that that's actually what's playing out over there. Do they? Margaret Atwood based the handmaid's tale on Iran, on what was happening in Iran when the Islamic revolution happened and the, it's just so interesting to see how the women that are losing their minds over the handmaid's tale and saying whoa this is just like trump's america are not noticing that like actually it's based on real life not on your hyperbolic imagination of of what you think is happening in america um so, yeah, it, it's quite frustrating to see people 
who are living in the freest country in the world not appreciate where they're living, especially when you're someone like me who comes from a background of really viscerally understanding what it means to not have any freedom whatsoever. Like yeah. I, I, I could not, you know, there's so many of us that really understand that. And so when you see people in America complaining, not just complaining, complaining is fine, but like saying things like, you know, we live in a fascist state and um, they're, they're comparing, like even what's happening in Afghanistan right now, they're saying like, oh, what's the difference between Taliban and what happened in January 6th and whatever. I'm like, what? Literally all the differences. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? Like, stop trying to, it's like they, they're, they're so, their life is so small and all they know is their own little experience. And it's kind of like a Paris Hilton getting, you know, breaking her nail and being like, oh my God, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen in anyone's life ever. That's what it feels like to people like me who are coming from places that, you know, I, you saw the images of people that were hanging on to the airplanes falling to their death. That's how desperate they are to go to the U.S. They're handing over their babies to the troops. My God, like that should really make you pause and have gratitude for the country that you live in and, um, you know, be appreciative of, of the fact that you were born there and that this is your citizenship because, you know, if not for, you know, just, it's just luck and fate that they weren't born in some other country like Afghanistan and they weren't experiencing the horrors that people are experiencing there now. Yeah. Listen, I, I've been one of the people who's been making a lot of noise about this and I speak about it hyperbolically, but uh, a lot of times just to get people's attention. And, and one of the things I saw that I thought was incredible were there was about five women holding signs um, in the streets of Kabul yeah. uh, protesting. And I, my comment that uh, brought out all the uh, Western liberals and the American liberal women was there's more bravery in those five women than all of the women who protested at, at women's marches combined. And they're like, no, my life is the same as that. And, and I'm like, dude, you have no idea. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't take a genius, but you actually experienced this and that's where your passion came from. That's where all of these, your book came from, your organization. Um, can you just speak a little bit more about your personal experience? Because really the, the whole point of this, uh, you know, I can make jokes all day long. Uh, people get that. I, I say lots of crazy things on my Twitter, but uh, when I, I, I realize how important it is to have the platform that I have and giving it to someone like you right now is so critical. So can you just talk about your background and, and really what got you motivated to do this? Okay. Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity and to come onto your platform and share this. I really do appreciate that. Um, so I grew up in Canada in a fundamentalist Muslim household. So my parents, they grew up in, they were pretty, they were just like normal kids. They were, they met in university. Um, they both had secular upbringings. It, my dad grew up in Palestine. My mom grew up in Egypt and they wanted to live the dream. So they decided to go to San Francisco and that's where they moved and they started this whole new world together. But of course it was the sixties. So it was a lot of peace, love and hippie stuff going on at that time. And my mom had two kids or she had at the time one kid. Um, 
and she wanted a more like a quieter life, more of a family life. And so they moved to Canada and they had two more kids. I'm the third. And then their marriage fell apart. So my mom at this point is in a new country, new community, doesn't really know anybody. She goes to the mosque for support. And at the mosque, she finds a guy who is very religious and he offers to take her on as his second wife. So in Islam, a man can have up to four wives. So my mom was wife number two concurrently. His first wife was a convert to Islam, Canadian convert. So my life completely turned at that point. It completely changed, completely. Everything was haram. Everything was forbidden. I was no longer allowed to have non-Muslim friends. My best friends, Chelsea and Lindsay, were just like down the hallway in the the apartment building I lived in. Wasn't allowed to play Barbies with them anymore. Uh, Wasn't allowed to listen to music anymore. Wasn't allowed to ride my bike anymore. Wasn't allowed to go swimming anymore. Birthdays were forbidden. Like literally everything that you can think of that was a positive thing for children was taken away from me from once she got married to this man. And then it was all about you have to uh, study Quran, you have to pray five times a day. Um, And then eventually it was you have to wear hijab, which is you have to cover yourself head to toe, nothing showing but your face and hands. So that happened when I was nine years old. Then I went to Islamic schools. And then... My family went to Egypt on a holiday. I thought it was a holiday, but they just left me there and went back to Canada. And the reason why they did that was because I was becoming too westernized, living in Canada, asking too many questions, pushing too much, wanting to have non-Muslim friends was my biggest sin. And so um, when I was in Egypt, they tried to get me married off to my cousin and I finangled my way out of that. And I got myself back to Canada again. So I detail in my, in my book, how this all happened. I'm giving you the, the quick. Yeah. Um, and when I got back to Canada, it was like this, my mom had this real anger because she felt like I had slipped away from the marriage that she was trying to force me into. So this time They married me off to a man who she said, and I quote, will be strong enough to control you. Um, And they married me off to a man who is a member of Al Qaeda. He's in Egypt right now. He's in prison in Egypt. He has been for like 15 years. Um, So they married me off to a terrorist and he did succeed in completely controlling me, annihilating me. I was nothing. I was like, I was nothing. And then I had a daughter and I don't know if you're a parent, but there's something about like, once you have a baby, like you're holding your baby in your arms, there's a, you're filled with all of this strength and bravery and courage and just this relentless need to protect this child. And so that's how I was able to find the courage to get myself and my daughter away from him and then away from my mom and then starting my life all over again, right? Going to university, getting a job, becoming a whole human being, which I had never been before. I was always just a, an extension. Um, and then I was quiet for many years because it's scary because leaving Islam, the punishment for denouncing Islam is execution. So um, 
you don't want to be public about the fact that you've left the religion. <sighs> and then I, I kept it quiet for very for a long time. And also because he's Al Qaeda and I don't know where his friends yeah. are. He's connected, right? So I, I don't yeah. know. It's scary. Um, we both changed our names and moved cities and um, we, we tried to live under the radar for a long time. And then what prompted me to start speaking was a Bill Maher episode with Ben Affleck and Sam Harris, where they were all talking about how we have to defend liberal values, not just in the West, but all over the world. And the next day, my Facebook was just covered with people that were insulting Sam Harris and Bill Maher. And, and basically, they were attacking them for being American white men. So how dare you say these things because you're an American white man? And I was really, I was really upset that nobody was engaging with the actual argument that these men were making. Nobody was paying attention to what they were saying. Everybody was paying attention to their immutable characteristics. So at that point, I felt like, fine, I'm a brown Arab woman. I'm going to say the exact same thing that these men are saying. Then you can attack me for my immutable characteristics. So you're going to be forced to engage with the actual message. But I was too scared to do that <laughs> because of all the aforementioned reasons. And so I started out being really uh, just just being anonymous. I was posting on Tumblr and then I was bombarded with people sharing their stories with me, telling me their experiences. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where I couldn't. I couldn't support all these people, especially since I was pretty raw and fragile at that point in my life because I was writing my book as well. And so um, that's why I started the organization Free Hearts, Free Minds, which offers mental health support, psychosocial support um, to people who are uh, who have denounced Islam but are still stuck in a Muslim majority country. So they could be executed for that crime. Yeah. Um, and so that's the work that I do. And it is, it, it, it was prompted from so many different things, but one of those things was just a sense of survivor's guilt because I was so close to being one of the many, many girls that we don't even know their names who are victims of, of honor killings all over the West too, not just in the Muslim world, obviously a lot more in the Muslim world, but um, yeah. So now I, I, spend a lot of my time and energy speaking up for the people that I know cannot speak up for themselves because they are in very dangerous situations. I mean, I think I'm in a dangerous situation, but it's not anywhere near compared to living in, you know, trying to speak out like those women in Afghanistan that you mentioned, those yeah. five women that were walking with the Afghani flags. Like uh, I can't imagine like they were, there was men around them with these big, huge guns. And um, they, they just, the women that I speak to always end up saying things to me like, who cares if I die? It's better than this life. I would rather, basically they're saying they would rather um, die on their feet than live on their knees. So it's, it's a very. Yeah. We, we have no, we have no concept of that here in America. We have no concept. Uh, Canadians don't. <laughs> Canadians don't. But that used to be the American ethos, you know, like yeah. I 
Um, I was speaking at Dartmouth University and the license plates all said live free or die. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, I love that license plate. I want that. I want to move here just so I can have that license plate. Like it's a, it's an old school American, you know, that's the core of, of your country. But, um, this generation of course is so far removed from those ideals. I've, I've always said, I think we've had it too good for too long. And, and so a lot of people get dramatic and believe that what they're going through right now is the most amazing part of history or the most tough part of history for, for them as Americans. It's like, dude, you're not even, we're not even in the ballpark. We're not even anywhere near, we're not even in the city. Uh, you know, forget the ballpark. So, uh, you know, when I, when I take a look at things, one of my criticisms and not to bring this back to me, I feel like such an asshole after hearing your story and then being like, well, one of the things that happened to me on Twitter the other day, no. uh, but it is, it's a thing when, when we talk about how Western liberals empower radical Islam, I tweeted a meme. I made a little meme of a Clarissa Ward before and after the Taliban takeover of Kabul, one with her uncovered, wearing very bright cover colors the next day, totally covered head to toe black. And I go, uh, and I use her own words because she said, even though they're chanting death to America, uh, they're being friendly, which is bizarre. And it's like, okay. A lot of people are like, oh, she said, which is bizarre, which covers for it. No, 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 no. You're saying they're being friendly. It's like, oh, he's a serial killer, but he's friendly, which is kind of weird. Uh, uh, you know, you can't really get away with it that way. But when I tweeted that, I didn't think it would go so far as to have the AP fact check it. And they came back saying, oh, well, she was in a private compound the day before. And she said she just had to cover up a little bit more. Blah, blah, blah. When you see a media organization do something like that, they, uh, how does that affect you? That, that is literally, it, it goes into exactly what your book is talking about. Does, does it not? Absolutely. That's the crux of it right there. It is so exhausting because they, that, that, subtitle how western liberals empower radical islam gets proven to me day in and day out like just stop it stop illustrating my point over and over and over again it is so infuriating so i mean it it, it there are so many examples with this afghanistan issue that make me say that over and over again like just yesterday i again let's talk about our twitter experiences um, yesterday, I, I, I posted an article that I wrote for Newsweek where I was talking about how the women, in, not only in Afghanistan, are suffering, but all over the Muslim world because of Islamic laws. And somebody, uh, you know, some do-gooder woman writes to me and says, but we need to talk about all of the positive things that Islam has. And I'm like, really? Really? Like that that's your takeaway from me talking about women being tortured and killed. Your takeaway is we need to talk about the good parts about Islam. It's 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 such a betrayal, you know, and then you're talking about this, you know. It's so often there are all sorts of leaders, whether they are celebrities, whether they are politicians, when they go to Iran or Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan or they don't, they put the hijab on. And it is very disheartening for the women that are fighting in those countries because the women in those countries are fighting for their bodily autonomy and they feel like they don't have power. And so when a woman comes in who has power, who is from a Western country, you know, they're coming from Sweden, they're coming from all sorts of Western countries, and they feel like 
this is a woman with power. This is a woman that I can look up to. This is a woman who might speak up for me. And then they find that those women just subjugate themselves freely. And even here, like our politicians here in Canada, every Eid or every Ramadan, they have to put a hijab on to be like, Ramadan Mubarak. Like, why the fuck do you have to do that? Why do you have to put on a costume? Why do you have to take somebody's oppression, something that gets people thrown in prison, attacked with acid, killed, and you're going to take it and wear it for a photo shoot? Like they don't even realize how horrific that is. It, it's your I prime minister does that, doesn't he? Yes, he does his favorite thing to do. I shouldn't laugh. I hate him. He's repulsive. But the, Alicia Keys a few years ago did that, where she posted this thing of some woman in niqab, like full on black, and she's talking about how beautiful it is. And the only way I could think of equating it was I got a picture from the movie Roots where there is a bunch of men shackled with chains. And I was like, how would you like it if I posted this and start to talk about how beautiful it was? That's how it feels. And then under her post, there were so many women from Saudi Arabia and all over the Muslim world that were like, what are you doing? This is, this is, this is horrible. This is something that, that we hate, that we're killing ourselves to fight for. Women are currently in prison fighting against this. And so she doesn't apologize or anything. She just takes it down. But that's an example of like, you had the option there, you had the ability, you had the power to speak up for these women or to say, oh, okay, I realized the mistake that I made and now I'm educated or something. Mm -hmm. But they, they just never take the opportunity. They always take the opportunity instead to support and to fetishize the hijab. Well, it, it's interesting to me because I, I've been friends with uh, lots of Islamic women. And uh, early on, there was this girl, I won't mention her name. She's become kind of famous as a model or whatever with a hijab on. And I have I also know a, a comedian that I knew very early on. She works uh, worked with me in the radio. Uh, and they always talk about how free they are. And then you see like pictures at like uh, religious events or like family events and the women are in a separate room. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, it's the little things like that where I'm like, you're not equal to men if you're in another room, if you're like separated like this. It's so obvious. But then they talk about how freeing it is. And like it's it, these talking points about like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about my looks because I'm totally covered head to toe. It's like, dude, that's that's not that's the opposite of free. I mean, sometimes I wish I could cover myself. I've been gaining a couple <laughs> pounds here, I've been told lately. Uh, and but, you know, it, it's just it's so ridiculous that this is yes. pushed as freeing and liberating. And it's like, no, if you take this outfit off in most countries, any part of it, you will be beaten or spit on or God knows what. I, I, I don't understand how, you know, it's crazy when it's as far as Alicia Keys and what she did, because that's, that's ridiculous. I didn't know about that. But these little bit of excuses that the media has been making, mm -hmm. the fact that Clarissa Ward actually just left or the CNN reporter just left uh, Afghanistan fled for her life basically because she knew things were getting so bad, but was still making excuses for these people and, and covering for it with that AP fact check and everything else that I talked about. Like, it's like shame on you for that. Like, I don't care how brave it is that you were there. You're making things worse for those women there because you're making excuses for those guys that so many people will see you are on this big platform. If she were to turn and granted, she I'd at least later turn around when she's safe and say, Hey, that was effed up. That was terrible. I was scared for my life if I would have taken any bit of that outfit off. It would be different, but she's not going to do that. And we both know that she's not going to do that. And, and that's really 
the one of the biggest faults here. I, I just don't understand, honestly, how this is so it's it's in plain view mm-hmm. and people make excuses for it. Like it, and it's interesting because when Bill March speaks about this, too, and, and I'm glad you were influenced by him. That's one of the things I agree with him on. And, and, you know, like we are could not be more polar opposite with our belief system. But one of the things I agree on with him is when he talks about uh, radical Islam and, and, and how they treat women and, and their treatment of people just in general. Uh, the left always jumps on him about it. And I'm like, dude, like if you love it so much, go visit Afghanistan, go, go to vacation in, in uh, Afghanistan or, you know, Saudi Arabia or somewhere and, and just see, you know, just wear casual dress and see what happens. I, I don't, I don't get it, man. And I, that's why I'm so uh, glad that you do what you do. Uh, what's w- not that your story is not powerful enough. What's one of the most powerful stories that you've heard uh, from someone who you've helped influence uh, throughout the years in your work? Well, one of my favorite stories is a story that I kind of recounted in my book about a, a Muslim woman. Cause I get contacted by Muslim women all the time because they have no one else that they can talk to. And they know that I'm not going to judge them or, think ill of them if they tell me their doubts or whatever. Um, So it was a Muslim woman that had been writing to me. Um, She was in an abusive relationship. She had an autistic son. She was wearing hijab. Um, Her whole family are very religious. And she was just like messaging me for probably about a year every now and then, you know, not, not too regularly. And then one day she sends me a message and she says, The next free from hijab day, which I have every year on February 1st, she said, I'm going to post a video. I'm going to post a video of myself taking off the hijab. And it was the cutest video. It was so sweet. She spoke in Arabic and in French and in English saying something about women's empowerment. And then she took it off. And then she just had like the most embarrassed little smile at the end because it was her first time taking it off in public. You know, it was on video, but still it was like, it's a big moment. Um, and it went viral. It was one of the most popular videos that year. And it just unraveled from there. This is why I say the hijab is, is they are the shackles. It's the physical representation of the, of the subjugation. So once you remove that physical thing, it's like a message to everybody around you that says, I own my body now. I control what goes on my head and I control what goes in my head. And so, of course, her everybody around her just erupted in anger because how dare you stand on your own two feet and make decisions about your own body? Like it, it's, it's like um, it, it's considered um, just like arrogant and selfish to do that. You know, you have to be, you have to think of your family's honor. And she was able to over the years. She got away from her husband. She was in a woman's shelter with her son for a very long time. She started going back to school. She's now dating a non-Muslim white boy. (laughs) You know, like she's just like moved on. Yeah. (laughs) Right. When, yeah, mine is a, mine's a non-Muslim white boy too. There might be. (laughs) Um, And she just, she just like soared. She just soared, and it, it's it was it's it was so beautiful to watch that evolution happen, that metamorphosis happen. She's like a you know so beautiful and free now, and and I love that. I love that I got to be a part of that because back when I was going through what exactly what she went through, I was completely alone. There was no such thing as social media, and 
Ayan Hirsi Ali hadn't written her book yet. You know, so there was no, I did not know that there were other people who had denounced Islam out there. As far as I knew, it didn't happen. And if it did happen, the person got killed. Yeah. And so I thought I was the only one. And there's so many people, so many ex-Muslims that will tell you, they thought they were the only one because we had to be in hiding. And so now that it's out and I can, like, I've written my book, I'm, I'm being public about it, you know, on Twitter and YouTube and whatever, people can see me, they can see each other. There's so many people that have their YouTube pages and their, you know, um, Twitter pages and, and all sorts of stuff. And so it's getting people to feel empowered in making their own decisions and choosing their own freedoms. And, and I love it. I love that. Every time a woman gets herself free, I feel like I'm breathing a little lighter, you know, like it, it helps to heal me every time I see one of them free themselves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I won't, I won't keep you much longer. I know it's your birthday. Uh, <laughs> yes. Me Muhammad. Let, let me tell you before I, before I let you go, uh, I, I like to consider myself and I, I've, I've coined this term and, and I think more conservatives should take this on, especially in America. I'm just a nine to five feminist. I just want women to be equal and not be sexually harassed. That's not like a bad thing. Like feminism in America. Now they're like, Captain Marvel isn't the head of the Avengers in the billion dollar franchise series. We're being oppressed. And it's like, dude, wake up and realize that women have it. I mean, women are literally property in, in parts of this world right now. And that's why your voice is so important. Yasmin Muhammad, uh, your organization, Free Hearts, Free Mind. Also your book, Unveiled, How Western Liberals Empower Radical Islam. And also your hashtag. That's so cool that you have like the hashtag. You did it. Uh, <laughs> free from hijab. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. And again, happy birthday. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you guys for listening today. That's it for the No Things Considered podcast. I know it was a long one. I know it got a little rambly at times, but thanks for hanging in there. If you like it, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, you know, and I'm around. Pay attention on the Twitter. We're going to be doing these lives. They're going to be really fun. You're going to like them. See you soon.